All right, this is uh, week two of our Kingdom First series. God bless you all of the kids, the junior high, high school, the youth. Uh, give them a hand, would you? Just give them a hand. As well as our, our youth and children's teams are doing a wonderful job. This is part two of our Kingdom First Life series, and I know we've been talking about our campaign and our move to El Cerrito, but I want to say to you, if you're new to Living Hope or if you're visiting Living Hope, uh, there's going to be a lot of meat in this series, a lot for you to chew on. I'm not just going to be talking about our campaign and our building the whole time. Uh, I believe that you're going to be uh, encouraged and yeah. blessed through this series as well. Uh, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the campaign this morning, but I want to do something uh, really quickly. I, I know I mentioned last Sunday that my wife and I have made a faith commitment uh, to this campaign already. Um, I'm not going to tell you the amount, but I will tell you that it is the largest kingdom investment that we have ever made in our entire lives. Yeah. Uh, now, I know what I'm, what I'm discovering as I've been speaking to a lot of people is that sometimes our heart is bigger than our resources. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I talked to one couple, they said, Pastor, we want to be the $200,000 givers. Wow. Uh, now, we don't have 200000 but <laughs> but that's our heart, and, and I, I just want to say that, that you know, the Lord honors that, and I think that's so awesome, but I, I, need, the, I need the team to come up here. God, come on, guys. I, w I wanted to just take a moment to show you how my wife and I arrived at the place that we arrived uh, for the commitment that we made. Let me have that Sharpie. All right. Now, this is, this is a... Um, come on. It's got to be straight, guys. Come on. I need a leveler. All right, this is, the, this is the commitment card that you all got. As a matter of fact, there was one on the seats this morning when you all got in here. Um, here's what we did. First of all, there's a one-time extraordinary gift that's coming out of our stored assets. So that's the first thing my wife and I considered, is what can we give out of our stored assets? Now, we don't have a heck of a lot there, uh, but we have something there. And so there's going to be something <laughs> here, right? right? Okay. Uh, we're still figuring out what that something is going to be, but it's going to be something, okay? It's going to be something. All right. Next is going to be our expanded giving of a, a certain dollar figure a month over a 24-month period equals something. <laughs> right? Now, first of all, these stored assets, not, it doesn't have to be cash. It could be stock. It be, could be crypto. Um, Yes, you can give Litecoin, Bitcoin, uh, XRP, whatever you have. Uh, we're going to have a Coinbase account that can receive that. Uh, you can give your stock options or you can give stock. There's, we're going to tell you different ways to do that. And so what we did was we put these two together and it came up with a total commitment. Now you on the San Francisco side as well, there's a little box down here that says SFK1 expansion. And so that is for individuals on the San Francisco side that also want to sow into the future of the SF campus. And we're, we have a meeting with you guys in a couple weeks. We're going to be talking more about what that looks like. So I just wanted to just kind of give you a bird's eye view. Now, here's our process. My wife and I have very different approaches to money. And a lot of the, the couples that I've talked to have said the same, that it's kind of difficult to have this conversation because we have different approaches to money. But here's our process. She prays and gets a number. I pray and get a number. Then we come back together, what's your number? This is my number, what's your number? We talk through the numbers if they're different, and then we go back and pray again, and we keep coming back together until we have one number. Yeah. And that has, is how we know that we're unified in Christ. And then next, it's my job to go to the drawing board and come up with a budget that makes it possible for us to do just that. Yeah. So I don't want to take any more time with that today. I just wanted to show you this is how we're going to do it, and I, I'm praying for each and every one of you, and we know that God is going to lead you. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much. Would you just give the Lord a shout of praise? Thanks, guys.
All right, the name of the series is The Kingdom First Life, and this is part two of The Kingdom First Life. The title of my sermon today is The Fire for the Fog. The Fire for the Fog. Hmm. Now, about three years ago, on the 4th of July, I decided that I wanted to go see the fireworks in San Francisco. I love fireworks. When I was a little boy, my great aunt Jo, she lived up in the Oakland Hills, and she had a beautiful balcony built on her house. And I used to love to go over there every 4th of July. We would have a big barbecue in her backyard. And then around fireworks time, we would all go out on her deck, on her patio that she had specifically built for this purpose. And we would be able to watch the fireworks display over the bay. It was absolutely fabulous. I love fireworks. I love being close to fireworks because there's something about seeing fire fall from heaven that's yeah. absolutely fantabulous, that's yeah. just exhilarating to the very core of my soul. Yeah. So about three years ago, I decided I'm going to go to, uh, to San Francisco on the 4th of July, and I did some research to find out where the best place to watch the fireworks would be, and I found an article that told me that the fireworks were going to happen right at the edge of the Bay Bridge on the San Francisco side, and that the best place to watch it would be from Treasure Island. So myself and one other, one other member of our church, we grabbed our cameras, we grabbed our best gear, we grabbed our tripods, we grabbed a bunch of jackets and coats so we would be warm, and we went out there on the 4th of July, and we got out there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Why? We wanted to beat the crowd, because we knew that there would be thousands of people out there <laughs> who wanted to see the fire. So we get out there, I set up my tripod, we got our cameras ready, we were ready, we got snacks you know, we got the perfect spot. We're waiting as the sun is going down over San Francisco, but something terrible happened. As the sun was going down, the fog was coming in. And it got to the point where the fog was so thick, I thought, oh no. But here's the, here's the thing. In my heart, I thought to myself, it's not going to be a problem because the fireworks are going to happen right there. That is, the fog is here, but the proximity is going to be so close that we'll be able to see the fire through the fog. However, we miscalculated because the fireworks did not happen right there. They happened down past Fisherman's Wharf. They happened down past Ghirardelli Square. And so all we could see is way in the distance, up through the fog, we could just see a little bit of brightness. <laughs> Just a, little, just a little faint shining. That was the fireworks display. We came to see the fire, but we couldn't see the fire for the fog. Now, this is actually a great description of contemporary Christianity. People come to the house of God wanting to see the fire, but they can't see the fire for the fog. You see, the reason why it's so hard for most people to believe in Jesus who don't believe in Jesus is because when they look at the lives of those who profess to believe in Jesus, they can't see the fire for the fog. You see, the fire represents the presence of God. The fire represents the power of God. The fire represents the glorious liberty of the sons of God. The fire represents holiness and righteousness. The fire repre represents an intense love and an abiding peace. But you can't see the fire for the fog because when we look into the lives of believers, when people in the world look into our lives, all they see is the fog of religion, the fog of compromise, 
the fog of striving and the fog, the fog of confusion and distraction and really the fog of clamoring after the table of the world, clamoring after the things of the world. As John Piper said, if you do not hunger and thirst for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled too long at the table of the world and your soul is so stuffed with small things that there's no room for the great. They can't see the fire for the fog. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture here. Uh, we're going to find in 1 Kings chapter 18 that the prophet Elijah is standing on Mount Carmel in front of the entire assembly of Israel with King Ahab there and all of the prophets of Baal, who was the false god of the ancient Near East that the people were worshiping alongside the Lord. Now, listen to this. 1 Kings 18, 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? Yeah. If the Lord is God, follow Him. Yeah. But if Baal is God, follow Him. Yeah. But the people said, Nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of my God, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Father, speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to backtrack a little bit so we can set this moment up so we understand what's happening here. Elijah was the prophet of the Lord in the nation of Israel during a time in which Israel was being ruled by Ahab, who was the most wicked king in the history of Israel. The problem with Ahab is he married this woman named Jezebel, and he came into covenant with this woman named Jezebel, who was probably the greatest idolater of the ancient Near Eastern world. Yeah. When Jezebel came into covenant with this king of Israel, who really intended to serve the Lord, he was enticed by the words of his wife. Yeah. He should have known better than to come into covenant with someone who did not serve the God that yeah, he served. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He thought he was going to do a little missionary dating. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just let that one sit right there for a second. <laughs> but instead, she was doing the missionary dating. Wow. He thought he was going to win her to the Lord. Instead, she won him to the devil. Wow. Come on, somebody. Yeah. So she comes into the palace and she says, I got a great idea. She said, you guys serve Yahweh, right? You guys serve the Lord, right? He was like, for sure. She said, I got a great idea. There's some stuff Yahweh can do for you, and there's some stuff that he can't. So how about we identify the things that he can't do for you, and let's, let's bring some other gods in here who can kind of fill in the gaps. I'm not saying that Yahweh is not God. I'm just saying he's not the only God. I'm not saying you can't worship the Lord. I'm just saying you shouldn't worship only the Lord. I'm not saying you can't go to church on Sunday. I'm just saying you've got to have more to your life than just church on Sunday. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I'm just saying read the Bible and consult your horoscope. 
I'm not saying don't pray, but I'm saying you can do a little Buddhist chanting as well. I'm, I'm not saying don't talk. I'm just, you know, go ahead and just, you know, you just need more. And the more, the merrier. And so she said, there's two gods in particular that I want to bring in. But the main one, his name is Baal. Baal. Baal was the most prominent and important god of the ancient Near East. He was worshipped everywhere. Baal. The word Baal was actually a common noun in the ancient Near Eastern world. It actually meant master or lord. They called him master or lord. Did you know that the Philistines version of Baal was named Baal Zebub? Does that sound familiar? Beelzebub, who was later was later identified as the prince of demons, uh, uh, basically another name for Satan himself. Literally, they're worshiping Satan himself, but they don't even know it. Actually, the ancient Greeks worshiped a a god named Belos, which was actually a derivative of Baal or Baal. When When the name Baal or Baal was transcribed into the Greek language, he was called Belos, who was later identified as Zeus. So when you're talking about Baal worship, you're talking about the title that encompasses all of the idolatry of the ancient Near Eastern world. And Baal was known as the Lord of Earth or the Prince of the Earth. He was known to be the Lord of Rain and Dew. Keep that in your mind for a second. (laughs) The Lord of Rain and dew, and therefore the god of fertility, because he would send the rain and the dew on the earth, which would cause the soil to become fertile, and therefore you could grow the crops. So we need some more rain and dew on the earth, Jezebel said, so let's start worshiping Baal, the lord of rain and dew. Let's worship the lord of rain and dew so we can get some rain and dew so that our crops can grow and our land can be fertile. And and Ahab said, sounds good to me. And so he brought in Jezebel, and Jezebel brought in 450 prophets of Baal. But here's the problem. She also started to assassinate all the prophets of the Lord. And she almost succeeded in killing all of the prophets of the Lord. Why did she begin to assassinate the prophets of the Lord? Because she knew that the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Lord could not cohabitate the same space. She knew that only one voice could speak. She knew that if she allowed the prophets of the Lord to continue to speak, they would drive out the prophets of Baal. But she also knew that if the prophets of Baal were allowed to continue to speak, they would soon drive out the prophets of the Lord. And her goal was actually to drive out the worship of Yahweh. Stay with me. You with me? Yeah. Now, 1 Kings 17, 1 comes along, and, uh, and all of a sudden this prophet shows up named Elijah, a prophet that Baal was not able to assassinate. A prophet that Jezebel was not able to get to. She didn't know who he was. He came out of nowhere. He comes on the scene from a city called Tishbe. And he shows up before Ahab, this unknown prophet, this unnamed prophet. How many know that if you snuff out all of God's prophets, he's got some prophets hidden that you don't even know about? He's got prophetic sleeper cells in the earth, places that you don't even know. And if you find them and put them to death, he will raise up prophets. Even the very rocks will cry out. How many know that you cannot silence the Lord our God? And so in 1 Kings 17, 1, the prophet Elijah comes and appears before Ahab and says, this is what the Lord says. This is what Yahweh says. There will be neither rain nor dew. Baal is the God of what? Rain and dew. There will be neither rain nor dew on the earth except at my word for these next several years. Peace. And then he left. 
You think Baal provides you with the rain and dew. So here's what the Lord's going to do. He's going to turn off the rain and dew until you recognize, until you put some respect on his name. Don't get it twisted. The moment you forget who provides you with the rain and the dew, the Lord, out of his mercy, will turn off the rain and dew to remind you of where the rain and dew comes from. Because this is the problem. I ain't tithing. I ain't giving my money to the church. You ain't tithing. You ain't giving your money to the Lord. You forget who provides you with the rain and the dew. There ain't going to be no more rain. Ain't going to be no more dew. And then the prophet goes and hides in the Kareth ravine. He drinks from the brook Cherith. And the ravens bring him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening. He's there for a while. Then all of a sudden the brook dries up. And the Lord sends him to a city called Zarephath. The Lord said, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And when he finds the widow there, she's out picking up sticks to make, she's got enough meal and oil to make one biscuit. She's going to eat that biscuit with her son and die. But the Lord, through the prophet, miraculously provides for this woman and her son during the time of famine for about a three-year period of time, the oil doesn't run dry and the meal doesn't run out until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. That those who truly serve and worship the Lord are provided for even during a time of famine. That you never have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of the economy. You don't have to be afraid of of losing your job. You don't have to be afraid of, of getting laid off. You don't have to be afraid of the tide turning. You don't have to be afraid of anything. I've seen it over and over and over again. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I've seen the people of God walk through the worst seasons, lost my job, and I was nine months and I had no work. And I thought I was going to lose my house. Well, did you lose it? Well, no. Well, how did that happen? Actually, I don't know. I'll tell you why. Because he is the Lord of the rain and the dew. Because you thought your job provides you with the rain and the dew, and you forgot the Lord provides you with the rain and the dew. You thought it came from your job. It did not come from your job. Even your job came from the Lord. You say, well, I pulled myself up from my own bootstraps. (laughs) Who gave you the hands to even reach the bootstraps. Who gave you the boots? It came from the Lord. Neither rain nor dew. And now there's a three-year famine in the land. And the Lord speaks to Elijah and says, go present yourself to Ahab, and I'm going to send rain on the earth. God said, it's time. And so Elijah goes and presents himself before Ahab, says it's time. Call all the people to Mount Carmel. You bring those false prophets of Baal with you. We're going to have a showdown. We're going to see who the real Lord is. And all the people gather on the mountain, and all the prophets of Baal are there, and King Ahab, and everybody's there, and Elijah appears before the people. And this is what he says. Why do you waver between two opinions? Why are you still sitting on the fence? Why are you coming to church, hearing the sermon, saying amen, but still not committing your hearts? Why are you not all the way in yet? Why are you still trying to serve two masters? You see, Jesus said it before. He said it later. He said, man cannot serve two masters. Either he will cling to the one and despise the other, or he will love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Elijah says, why are you still sitting on the fence? Why haven't you made a decision yet? If the Lord is God, serve him with everything in your heart, mind, and soul. 
If he's really God, then let's do this thing. Yeah. Quit fooling around. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just need more time. I just need. Do you realize there's people in the world who have never had one chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You bunch of entitled religious people. You say, I just need more time. You've been sitting on the fence for 15 years. You don't need no more time. You need to make a decision. Is the Lord God or not? Come on. Yeah. Why do you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. But if Baal is God, then serve him. If you really believe that Baal is God, then you serve him with all your heart. And you stop pretending to be a half-hearted, half-behind Yahweh worshiper. You got to worship God with your whole behind, not half your behind. (laughs) (laughs) And the people answered him, not a word. Wow. The people said nothing. They said nothing, which is a moment of passivity. Yeah. That moment of passivity where I know he's right, but yeah. I'm not ready to make a change. Yeah. I mean, I know the preacher's talking to me, but, uh, you know, I'm just not there yet. Not a word, no answer, no response. Yeah. Passivity. I've been there a million times where I've, I've heard, I've known the word of the Lord came through my mouth and I know it hit people right in the heart. But it came time for the decision, the response. Yeah. Not a word. Yeah. So the prophet said, okay, all right, there needs to be a demonstration here. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. Take these prophets of Baal. Yeah. We're going to build an altar. There's going to be two bulls. Have them choose a bull, and I choose a bull. They put theirs on their altar. I put mine on my altar. They're going to call on their God. I'm going to call on my God. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. And the people said, that's good. You see, the people will always agree to to put the Lord to the test. (laughs) If you were to say to somebody, Jesus is calling for your heart. He loves you. They say, I don't know. I don't know. How about this? Okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to pray for your mom's blindness, and if she gets healed, will you believe? Sure, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. If, God, if you put God on, on trial, yeah, I'll submit to that, but we get it twisted because it's actually God who tests our hearts. We're always wanting to test Him. You see, Abraham Joshua Heschel said that the modern world has replaced the biblical question with the modern question. The biblical question is, what does God require of man? Yeah. But the modern question is, what does man require of God? We're constantly talking about what God owes us when the Bible calls us to come to grips with the fact that we owe everything to God. And he actually owes us nothing, but out of his grace gives us everything. And we owe him everything, but out of our rebellion, we give him nothing. Yeah. They said, all right, it's good. So Elijah says, there's more y'all than me. So y'all go first. Then Elijah sits back, turns on the fan, and starts sipping a mint julep. (laughs) The prophets of Baal, they take their bull, they cut it into pieces, they lay it on the altar, and then it says, they start, I got to read this to you because I always get the wording wrong here, but it's really hilarious uh, when when you look at, (laughs) 
when you look at, look at this, verse 26, so they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal! 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 Answer us! They shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Baal! Baal! Please, Baal! Give me a B! A! At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. He starts, he starts trolling. He starts tweeting. <laughs> Look at this. Shout louder, he says. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought. Oh. Wait, wait, check this out. It says, or busy. You know what it literally says in Hebrew there? Or lifting up the skirt which is a, euph it's, it's a, a euphemism for sitting on the toilet. <laughs> Maybe he's on the toilet. Just give him some more time. <laughs> or traveling. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, when we have trusted in things other than the Lord, God yeah. mocks us. Come on. Wow. He mocks us in our idolatry. Yeah. So they shouted louder, and, and here's, this, this gets crazier and crazier, and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. They thought maybe if we slash ourselves and cut ourselves with swords and spears, our God will hear us. Wow. Maybe if we shout louder and work harder and sacrifice more, our God will hear us. Mm. Not if he's not the right God. Yeah. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. And now you got 450 prophetic fools bleeding to death, dehydrated, dying from heat stroke and exhaustion. They look worse than the bull that's laid on the altar. And Elijah is kicking back with his fan on, still sipping his second mint julep. <laughs> and then Elijah arises. Here's the problem. There's no fire on your altar. There's just the fog of religion. And the fog of religion has to do with vain repetitions 
They thought if we just say this collection of words over and over again, our God will answer. Striving. They thought maybe if we just strain with all of our might, our God will hear and our God will answer. And sacrifice of the flesh. Maybe we'll cut ourselves and hurt ourselves and then our God will answer. Do you realize that all three of these things are marks of empty religion? They're our frantic attempt to connect with a God who cares nothing about us. And that is not the way the Lord our God is worshipped. You see, whenever there is an absence of fire, it betrays the presence of idolatry. The absence of fire betrays the presence of idolatry. If there's no fire on the altar, it's because you're not worshiping the Lord rightly or you're worshiping God and Baal. Wow, yeah. The only difference between Elijah and the prophets of Baal was idolatry. That the prophets of Baal worshiped a false god and Elijah worshiped God and God alone. That in his heart, he was sold out. In his heart, he was completely and totally surrendered to God and his kingdom. In his heart, he put the kingdom first. And because there was no mixture, no syncretism, because his heart was true, he knew that he could fully expect to call on the Lord his God and that he would answer by fire. And so he's not even worried. Wow. Oh, there's going to be fire on my altar. Yeah. There may not be fire on your altar, but there's going to be fire on my altar. How do I know there's going to be fire on my altar? Because I serve the Lord and the Lord alone. Yeah. And the first thing Elijah does is repair the altar of the wow, Lord. Yeah. If you want to see God blow the fog away so that the fire of his presence can cut through the fog, if you want his fire to be seen on your altar so that people will know that he is alive, the first thing you must do is repair the altar of the Lord, which has been torn down. Because what idolatry does is it begins to erode the altar of the Lord. And the altar of the Lord in your life is the place of devotion It is the place of of sacrifice. It's the place of daily worship. It's the place of intimacy before the Lord. And what tends to happen is our busy schedules begin to erode that altar. And the first thing you got to do is rebuild that altar. Because here's the problem. What what, What tends to happen in our lives is when we get busy, prayer is the first thing to go. But in actuality, it should be the opposite. When we get busy, prayer should be the first go-to. Yeah. Elijah says, you want to see fire? First, let's repair the altar. Yeah. And he repairs the altar of the Lord, which had been broken down. Second thing, he, puts a new, he renews the sacrifice. Yeah. Because once you lose your altar, you also lose your sacrifice. You see, that's why the devil attacks your altar. That's why he tears your altar down. That's why he tries to entice you into a place of idolatry because he knows that if your altar falls apart, your sacrifice falls apart. You go through all these seasons in your life where you know what the sacrifice is, where you know what God is calling you to offer him. You know what God is calling you to surrender to him. And you put it on the altar for a moment, but the moment you walk out the door, the enemy starts to... He doesn't attack your sacrifice. He attacks your altar. And now all of a sudden, you haven't opened up your Bible in weeks. You haven't gotten on your knees for five minutes. You haven't even sang a worship song. Your 
Walk with the Lord consists of going to church on Sunday, singing some songs along with the worship team, unpassionately, listening to the sermons, and you say a, a few amens, and that's the extent of your walk with Christ. Your altar has been torn down, and you don't realize it, but you've allowed idolatry to seep into yes, your life. Yes, yes, yes. And there's no fire in that kind of a Christian walk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Elijah says, we're going to rebuild the altar of the Lord, and then secondly, we're going to renew the sacrifice. Yeah. We're going to make sure that the sacrifice is laid on the altar. But then he says, now watch this. Go get four stone pots of water. There's probably four pots over there. He goes, fill those with water. And they fill them with water. He says, pour it over the sacrifice. And they pour it over the sacrifice, all four of them. He goes, go fill them again and pour them over the sacrifice. They pour it over again. He had them dig a trench around the altar. And they dug a trench and the water three times, which is 12 stone pots full of water, one for every one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They soak the sacrifice. Why? Because Elijah doesn't want anybody to be able to say that this happened and it was a coincidence. You see, it was so hot and dry out there that there was some spontaneous combustion. You know, what happened was a piece of tumbleweed came by and the friction of the tumbleweed and the dryness of the heat, it just kind of, and then the fire, you know, he said, no, 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 no. there's not going to be any talk about this when this is over. Nobody's going to be able to say that this happened by chance. Nobody's going to be able to say that this was a natural occurrence. Nobody's going to be able to say that this was scientifically explainable. This is God's doing. The fire on the altar must only and always be the work of the Lord. Wow. Our job is to make sure the sacrifice is laid on the altar. Yeah. God's job is to consume it, but he will only consume it when we remove the mixture. Yeah. And then Elijah stood, and he prayed this prayer. He said, O oh Lord, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Mm. You're the only God. Mm. And that I'm your servant. Mm. And that I've done all these things at your command. And he said, Lord, send the fire so that this people might know that you are God in Israel and that you're turning their hearts back to them. Yeah. Answer, oh God. Answer. And all of a sudden, the fog was blown away. The fire falls from heaven, and it hits the altar, and it consumes the sacrifice. It consumes the wood. It consumes the altar itself, and it licks up the water from the trenches. And when the people saw it, the people who were formerly passive, when the prophet said, if the Lord is God, serve him, but if Baal is God, serve him, and they just were passive, when they saw the fire, they fell on their faces and they exclaimed, The Lord, He is God. Yahweh, He is Elohim. Their passivity was taken away. Why? Because they saw a life on fire. You got friends and family members who want to know Jesus? They need to be able to see the fire of God consume the sacrifice on your altar. If they can't see the fire consume the sacrifice on your altar, they'll never, never know that the Lord, He is God. But for many of us, in fact, I'd say most of us, and in fact, to some degree, I say all of us, we can't see the fire for the fog. The fire of God, the fire of God is there, but it's being clouded by the mixture 
of empty religion and idolatry. You know, in the ancient world, idolatry was about falling down and worshiping an image of stone. Yeah. That's really not what it's about today. I mean, how many of you have gone home and bowed down to an Im image of stone? <laughs> today, you know what it's about? It's about the failure to prioritize God and His kingdom above everything. Wow. The failure to prioritize God and His kingdom above everything. Yeah. Anything that you prioritize above God and His kingdom is idolatry. Wow. And any act of disobedience against God and His word is a failure to prioritize God and His kingdom above everything. Disobedience is idolatry. And here's the beautiful thing. We're drawn into idolatry out of fear. Wow, yeah. You see, Jezebel had convinced the people that if you don't worship Baal, you're not getting any rain and dew. But Elijah showed the people that if you actually want to keep the rain and the dew, you need to worship the Lord and Him alone. We're drawn into idolatry out of fear. That's what draws us out of our prayer closet. That's what draws us out of our place of devotion is, no, but if I don't do these things, this is going to fall apart in my life. I've, I've got to prioritize these things. I've got to do these things first. And we forget that putting the Lord second is idolatry. We experience it in every era of our lives. We experience it relationally. We experience it financially. We experience it vocationally that we're always tempted to put something else first. Yeah. Not realizing that when we put God first above all things, it clears the fog out of our lives. Wow, yes, yes. And when the fog clears, yeah. the people who have come to see the fire, all of a sudden, they see the fire of God fall upon yes, the altar and consume yes. the sacrifice. And now all of a sudden, their hearts are turned, and their hearts are turned toward Him. Wow, amen. You know, the next year on the 4th of July, as the worship team comes, I got it right this time. A year later, I said, I'm not going to make that same mistake. So my wife, my daughter, and myself, and a couple of other people, this time we went to the right place. We went to Ghirardelli Square. We sat right out on the grass, and there was no fog. And when the sun went down and the time came, we were filled with delight to see the sky filled with one of the most glorious fireworks displays that we had ever seen. Yeah. The fog was cleared. And some of you in this place today, I dare say many of you in San Francisco and right here in Emeryville, have gone through a season in your lives yeah. in which the fog has clouded out the fire, and wow. you know it. Yeah. Yeah. But I say to you that if you turn your heart to the Lord yeah. and allow Him to blow away the fog, if you recommit your heart to the Lord and rebuild the altar and relay the sacrifice on the altar and call upon the Lord, His fire is going to come. And in the next season of your life, it's wow. not going to be marked by fog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You're going to come into a season of your life and when people, in which people will say to you who do not know Jesus, I see something different in you now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what changed in your life, but there's something different yes, about you now. Yes. I'm beginning to see the fire of God. Let me wow. tell you something. There is nothing that draws people to Christ more than when they can see the fire of God on the altar of your heart. And, and I know they have not been able to see the fire for the fog in the past, but I'm saying that you can walk out of this room a different person today. Yes. And on both sides of the bay, I just want to give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Yeah. And not to be like the people of Israel that heard the prophet Elijah and knew that that word was for me, yeah. but answered not a word. Wow. There was no response. The fog yeah. of religiosity, the fog of passivity, yeah. Yeah. the fog of idolatry. Jesus. You know, we're getting ready to make a tremendous sacrifice to the Lord. We're getting ready in a few weeks to lay it on the altar before the Lord. We're getting ready to move with God into a powerful season in our lives. But listen, we need more than the sacrifice on the altar. We need the fire of God to consume yes. it. Yes. A building without the presence is nothing. Yes. Without the fire of God, it means nothing. Yeah. If the people cannot see the fire of God on the altar of our hearts, it means yes. nothing. But today we're going to pursue the fire. Yes. Today we're going to rise up as one and we're going to say, God, clear the fog out of my life. Yes. The fog of distraction, the fog of idolatry. Yes. And we're going to surrender our hearts to God once again, afresh and anew. Bow your head with me today. Jeremy, you can lead on that side of the bay. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray today that you would speak to every heart and that you would speak to every soul. Lord, you're calling us today to recommit our hearts. You're calling us today to come back to a place of wholehearted devotion to you so that you might blow away the fog. Blow away the fog. Blow away the fog of religion. The fog of idolatry. Blow away the fog. And I pray that you would put within each and every heart and each and every soul a passion to recommit our hearts to the Lord today. That we would not leave this place until the fog is blown away. Lord, when Israel recommitted their hearts to you, when they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, when the fire came on the altar, the next day, that very day, the rain and the dew came. The very thing that was held back was released. The very thing that was held back was released. And I say to you by the word of the Lord today that if you commit your heart to the Lord, if you surrender to him with everything that you are, you put his kingdom above everything, above your money, above your relationships, above your home, above your vocation, you put his kingdom first, I tell you that the very things that have been held back are going to be released in your life as the fog is blown away and the fire falls. I want you right now just to begin to pray. I want you just to begin to pray. I want you to begin to commit your hearts to the Lord. This altar is open for anyone who wants to come. Some of you need to come and stand at this altar. Some of you need to come and put the prophets of Baal in your life to death today. Those voices that call you and, and draw you back out.